everyone. This is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. All righty then, Chad. Here we are again, part three of painting dead grass green. We're going to be exploring the tension that is found within the doctrine of salvation. And the tension exists between two sides of the same coin, really, faith and works. In the last Mm. episode that was titled The Work of Faith really dove deeply into how this really works out. But today, what we want to do, Chad, is really explore particular sections of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And we're going to look at, like I said earlier, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And we're going to see what the Bible really does say about salvation. We're going to kind of break up the components of salvation. Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss a little bit of those components. Um, and we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, I think this is a, a confusing topic in Scripture, uh, in, in, a lot of, in large part because Scripture seems to say two different things, even though it's not. We'll talk about that today. But it seems to, at some points, have a lot of emphasis on our works, and then at other points have a lot of emphasis on what we believe. And then just how God's designed us as humans, that we are creatures who work and do things, and so we put a lot of hope in our work, even though we're told not to put hope in our work, but we are told to work. And so though that line of the chicken or the egg almost, like which one comes first, right. faith or work, or work or faith, um, sometimes can be... Uh, tough to see and then on top of that you've got many different denominations or thoughts about those things where they emphasize one more than the other yeah and so hopefully today um we can shed some clarity and light on this subject that seems to be a difficult one for for folks yeah and i think the best way to start before we jump in to our primary text today which is going to be found in james chapter 2 I think it would be good for for us to really place our minds uh, in in the proper context. Mm-hmm. Remember, the the Bible is a collection of sixty six books that has you know been put together by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God authored the very words of the Bible through human agents, and all of those mm-hmm. human agents were Jews. They were Jews, right, right? So we have to remember that you know most of us are not Jewish and. Most of us are growing up in 21st century America, most of us listening. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a whole cultural context that we have to first get educated on to where we can really understand the thrust behind, you know, when James says, you know, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, mm-hmm. right? When Jesus himself would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an, this entire system that was built up in the Old Testament that was very meaningful to the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. And rightly so. I mean, God made it, <laughs> the right. Levitical priesthood, right? I mean, he's the one who who set the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. And although the Levitical priesthood, according to the, the New Testament, has been done away with, right? This is Hebrews chapter 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a new high priest, right, who is in the line of Melchizedek after the order of Melchizedek, who exists forever, uh, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because the sacrificial lamb of God has been sacrificed. Mm-hmm. One sacrifice for all who believe. And it is a complete, permanent, final sacrifice. No more sacrifice of animals is necessary. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to attain to the standard of God anymore, right? Like, mm-hmm. we know that in and of ourselves, we cannot do that perfectly. 
we must have the spirit of God dwelling within us to even have a shot. Right. We know that our hope is in Christ's righteousness. And when we believe the word of God that we hear or read Mm -hmm. and faith is given to us by God himself, Mm -hmm. we know that this process of salvation, this event, this ongoing process, the already but not yet principle of salvation mm-hmm. and everything that that entails that we're going to dive into today begins. And this causes like real change in us, like substantial substantial change. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, you know, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, right? right? He said, you're going to know false teachers, false prophets, false believers by the fruit of their life. Right. So, so this is really, really meaningful for us and it's really instructive for us. Mm-hmm. Like number one, our works don't save us. Like mm-hmm. we've already established that in the first two podcasts. Mm-hmm. But they do mean a whole lot and yeah. they are objective indicators of right. whether or not actual salvation has occurred. Right. Works are a, represent, a representation of your heart. Yes. Like I love how Christ puts that because what we're going to read today, James is essentially saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. That you you judge a tree by its fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So, and I love that idea of fruit because fruit is a, is a natural outflow of that tree. If that tree is an apple tree, it will produce apples. Yeah, right. Um, or if there's something dead and wrong with that tree, like at the root system, it won't produce anything, mm-hmm. and it eventually will die. But if it's a healthy tree, an apple tree, how do you know it's an apple tree? because you see apples grow. <laughs> yes. But the apples are coming from the 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 innateness of the character of that tree. Like yeah. it is that is what it's there for. That's right. what's inside of it. Yeah. And that's what James and Paul and we'll get into these are saying too about the Christian. Mm-hmm. If the Holy Spirit lives within us, if we have faith in Christ, then our lives will reflect and have fruit of the character of Christ. Yeah. And the reason why I brought up the whole Jewish context mm-hmm. is because a lot of people, in, even in Paul's day, mm-hmm. accused Paul of like being a man who preaches licentiousness, right? Like it doesn't matter if we keep the law because we're saved by faith, right? Like so it doesn't matter how you live. And Paul many times in the book yeah. of Romans says, you know, in the strongest Greek negative, meganitas, no, may it never be, right? Um that no, and this is, in fact is not the truth, right? Yeah. So Paul is a Jew, like he understood the value of of quote unquote good works in the ref, in, in reflecting right. the life of God in the individual. Well, even Paul would constantly point back to Abraham to to demonstrate that it was by faith they were saved then too. Yeah. That the law was once again that reflection of the fruit. The Old Testament. Jews would faithfully live out the law if they trusted in the one true God. Correct. It was by their it was because of their faith that they did. Mm-hmm. But then just like anything else, they had many people who were abusing and not and keeping the law, adding to the mm-hmm. law, messing with the law, not keeping it in the way God designed it, which re- was a reflection of their lack of faith. Yeah. They began to put their faith in the law instead of the one who gave it. Yes. What's the difference? And that really developed uh, in this period known as the Second Temple period. Mm-hmm. So like the Old Testament Jews, like the patriarchal period and, and then in the Mosaic period, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of we kind of take the Pharisaism of Ju- Jesus' day and we apply it to those Jews that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. That, that actually isn't how they thought about the law. They didn't think about 
like it during the Mosaic period, Moses giving the law. Mm-hmm. Then you think like, oh, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be righteous. Mm-hmm. They thought, no, like God has told me to do these things. I trust God, therefore I'll do them. Right, which is the reflection of faith. Correct. Where that got lost in the Jewish context is during this time of the Second Temple period, after the Jews were exiled from their land, mm-hmm. Israel, 10 northern tribes, Judah, the southern two tribes, they were exiled, right? And this is all found in First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, um, in the in the minor and major prophets. Mm-hmm. They developed this this idea that we were exiled because we failed to keep Torah, we failed to keep the law. Mm-hmm. So when they came back to their land, they had this hyper legalism mm-hmm. because they thought, well, if we just keep the law, then nothing bad will happen to us. We'll experience the blessing of God, and the Messiah will come. Mm-hmm. So they, they really started to believe that if we keep the law, mm-hmm. we'll usher in the messianic kingdom. Right. And Which was a half-truth. Correct. Right. Like, well, they were to keep the law, but why? Because they believed in God, not because of their selfish desire to not have anything bad happen to them again. Right. And, like, nowhere in the law does it say, like, uh, if you follow Torah perfectly, then the, the Messiah will come and establish his reign and rule. <laughs> right. They, they started to develop these, these ideas and quite deeply. And I'm not a professional in understanding the Second Temple period. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to read books on it. It's quite mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that this hyper-legalistic, pharisaical system that Jesus clearly called out publicly and clearly challenged publicly by doing works on the Sabbath continuously mm-hmm. developed during that period of time. And so this is really where the modern church, like, this is how we understand the Old Testament Jewish law, is we really understand what, what developed during this post-exilic Second Temple period. But that's not how the Old Testament Jews thought about it. It really isn't. They, they, they did what God said because they trusted God. Right. Right? And so they didn't think like, oh, if I keep the law, then I'll be righteous. They just thought, no, if I keep the law, I'll be righteous because it shows that I believe the God who told me to do X, Y, and Z in the Levitical system that's mm-hmm. why I'm righteous, right? right. So, so when Paul brings up Abraham, for instance, in mm-hmm. Rome, uh, Romans and in Galatians, he's going, you remember Abraham? He believed God, which right. is faith, and that faith caused him to act out the words of God. Right. So right. I want to just set that context. Do you have any final comments no, before right. we jump into the <laughs> text? Was, and Abraham was before the law was ever given, but Abraham is the father of the Jews, right? His, he is the father of the nation of Israel. And then... It wasn't until Moses that God even gave the the rules and the law, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but even in that time, there was a the fear of the Lord is what caused them to act. You know, you can't have faith in the Lord without a right fear of God, the understanding of who He is and His power. And they saw His power displayed many yeah. times, even to the point where Aaron's sons go in and they they do this strange fire. They, yeah. they don't do the law the way God said to, and they got destroyed Zapped. immediately and so yeah. there was this like man like god is he's serious he's yeah, real you absolutely know? and so anytime anytime a faith becomes man-centered and not god-centered it, it goes off track yeah which is where works comes in a lot of times because mm-hmm. in our flesh we feel like we can keep works we can do that in our own strength yeah faith takes a trust and a realization that you don't have any ability to do so. Yeah. All right, so let's get into uh, the first text today, starting in James, Mm -hmm. I mean, chapter 2. 
and we're going to read verses 14 through 26. Many of you listening probably already know what this passage says, but we're going to read the whole passage just so we can uh, set our minds rightly. So I'll, I'll go ahead and read the whole section here, Chad, yeah, and go ahead. then you can begin the commentary. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the, believe in, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Hmm. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right. <clears throat> so here he starts out with a rhetorical question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And what James is pointing to here is, and he and he looks and when he talks about you know he says you know it's good if you believe that God is one. He's talking about all these different aspects that many of the believers there were saying, and we hear said today that oh I believe in God or I believe that there is a God. I believe this, that, and the other. And he's pointing to that faith. Faith is not alone a intellectual assent. Meaning, he points out that even the demons believe and shudder about God. So they they have a understanding or an intellectual understanding or a realization even that God exists and that there is the one true God. But a saving faith is goes beyond just the intellectual understanding of God and a belief that there is a God, and it moves to a personal trust and submission to that God. I say it this way a lot to help our clients understand. It, <clears throat> true saving faith is knowledge with trust. Knowledge with trust. One without the other is not true saving faith. Mm. Knowledge alone is not saving faith. Many intellectuals you can pontificate on and be intellectually stimulated even to believe that there is a creator and that even maybe the God of the Bible is real and all this, all these things. That does not save you. That, that could lead you to a theoretical belief, meaning I know I should trust God, I know that there is a God, but without trust, there's no submission to that God, which mm -hmm. that's the requirement. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and yeah. believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That lordship principle, confess that he is Lord, insinuates a submission to Christ mm -hmm. as Lord, right? <clears throat> now, trust alone without knowledge is not faith because you could trust in a false gospel or 
you could trust in a man-centered God, or mm-hmm. you could trust in all kinds of things that you're told without any knowledge and miss the mark as well, right? We see this in the Word of Faith movement quite a bit, mm-hmm. that, man, they, they feel this experience and they believe in this God, but it's not the God of the Bible because mm-hmm. it's not based on the truth of God's Word. Mm-hmm. True saving faith comes from knowledge of and knowing who Christ is, who the God of the Bible is, what Scripture says about him, and what the gospel tells us with a full trust of it, meaning I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to conform my life to the truth of God's word because I believe he is Lord. Yeah. And in that saving faith, there has to be works because mm-hmm. submission insinuates action, mm-hmm. right? It's a doing there. Yeah. Trust always reflects an action, meaning... I give this example a lot. I tell, you know, guys in my office when I'm counseling who who don't have a saving faith yet, you know, we're talking through the gospel. And I'll say, I'll take that Romans 10, 9 and 10, that confess Christ as Lord. And I will talk about this very thing about trust and submission to him as Lord. What does that mean? If someone's your Lord, you do whatever they say. I said it, but you have to believe in the resurrection because that's the proof that he is the Messiah, that he is God, mm. the raising from the dead. That is that is what justifies us. That's what saves us is the fact that he defeats sin and death, that he is the Messiah, right? I said you have to believe in it in the same way that you trust in that chair that you sit in because you believe, you know that this is a chair. and You demonstrated your trust that it's a chair and that it will hold you up by sitting down. If you were standing in my office right now and I would offer you a seat and you say, like, oh, oh I, I don't think I can sit down on that. And I'll say, well, it's a chair. Well, I know it's a chair. Does a chair hold you up? Yeah, I know that. I know that. Well, then sit down. Mm-hmm. And if you never sat down, you would demonstrate you don't actually trust in the chair to hold you up. You're demonstrating true faith, knowledge and trust of that chair because you're sitting in it right now. That's the same way that a Christian reflects a true trust in the Lord because their life reflects the actions of trusting in the Word of God and doing what God says. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. And I think it points to a couple of things that are actually quite obvious when you just sort of take a step back. Right. And even, like, take the the, the religious element out of it. Like, right. you just pointed to the fact that everyone operates with some measure of faith. Absolutely. Yeah, there's just a general operative principle there. Like, mm-hmm. okay, like I believe that if I sit in that chair, it's going to hold me up. Right. Right. That's its purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that when I turn the faucet on and I take a drink of water, that I'm not going to die. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, so right. everyone, faith is not hard to understand. Right. But but that's not the faith that we're talking about in the Bible. There's a very, like, like actual massive difference <laughs> between the faith in the Bible and just like mm-hmm. that general operative faith that we're talking about here. Right, right, right. Because I don't have to submit my life to the chair. Exactly. <laughs> so it is the lordship principle that differentiates the faith that we're 100%. talking about in the Bible. You must be willing to go to death, even death on a cross, right. if you claim the name of Christian, mm-hmm. right? If you right. claim that, there's, there's, you just said something pretty substantial. Now, mm-hmm. we have obviously watered that down in today's evangelical church. Yeah. It's, it's the easy believism culture that's around, mm-hmm. the Christian culture. Like, in the church in Iran, I read this in the book um, called Letters to the Churches by Francis Chan. He said, if you want to be a Christian in Iran, you actually have to sign a document that says that you're willing to go to death for the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because 
they will go to the, they will actually be persecuted even to death in that mm-hmm. country. So like, it's very different depending on where you are in the world. If yeah. you call yourself a Christian, you know, China, same thing. Yeah. Right. So yeah, like in the American church, it's, you can, you don't have to even be a Christian. You can go to a church, a quote unquote church. Oh yeah. You can go to the building where people are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. Right. And, and you can um, make a claim to be a Christian all day with, without any need to live out that because we're not persecuted. Yeah. And we have to remember the context historically with which the Bible was written. Mm-hmm. These people were being killed for their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, Jews who enjoyed the protection of the Roman government under Judaism, mm-hmm. now when they're confronted with, well, Jesus is Messiah, they have to make a decision because Christianity was not protected right. under the Roman government's you know, um, acknowledgement. And so if you decided to now call yourself a Christian during James's time, mm-hmm. you could very well lose your life. Mm-hmm. In fact, many did lose their lives yeah. in horrific ways. And so they, we have to understand, like, they didn't take this lightly to call themselves a Christian. It, it, you didn't take it lightly. In mm-hmm. fact, you were probably going to lose everything that was dear to you. Mm-hmm. And so no wonder he says in James says in verse 18, he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You know, I, I was just reminded of, of this historical context when I was reading that while you were speaking, Chad. And like Jude, the apostle Jude in his little, you know, one chapter book mm-hmm. right before Revelation, he says that he found it necessary to write to his congregation uh, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You know, Christian out there, you got to understand like the, historos- the historicity of your faith is literally, it's been, the history of it's been written in the blood of the martyrs. Mm-hmm. And so we have to actually contend for this faith that we claim. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be able to distinguish between who actually is a Christian based upon the objective evidence because I can't tell what your heart is. Like only yeah. God does, right. right? I can only judge your claim to Christianity, to, to authentic right. faith by how you live your life, right. by the words you speak, by what you do. And we have to understand the seriousness mm-hmm. with right. which the name Christian is, is, yeah. is used. And primarily in what you just said there is very true. But how do we judge righteous works? By your obedience to the scriptures. Yes. And I want to make that distinction because... There's a lot of churches who've added to extra biblical yeah. things, and they and they hold those things up as righteous, and and so you, you get a lot of falsehoods with the works, yeah. the, the obedience and the the understanding of someone's truly believer is is all, only judged by their obedience to the Word of God only, and so. You know, you got some fundamentalists, legalistics who would say, if you watch a movie, you're not a Christian. You know, that's not necessarily biblical, right? right. Um, but what James points to here is the serving of other people. If someone comes to you and they have need and you just say, go in peace and you don't help them. Yeah. Like, we're called to, in Romans 12, there's many places to help others, yeah. to love others. That's that's something you could look to and be like, that's not very Christian. Yeah. Like, you know, that yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Hey everyone, it's Mike here. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. Chad and I get on here every single week simply to educate and encourage all of you listeners out there. We want to educate you in what the Bible actually says, 
and we want to encourage you in the truth of the scriptures. If you are interested in our biblical counseling process and all the other things that we are doing here at the Nehemiah Project, I would encourage you to visit our website, tnproject.org. It's there you're going to find all of our different services. You're going to see what we're all about, and you're going to really get to know us. And we would ask you to consider becoming a financial donor to this ministry. You know, it's our donors that really allow this ministry to grow and to thrive. We have a large percentage of clients who need financial assistance with their services. And because we don't take health insurance, we depend wholly upon the kindness and generosity of donors just like yourself. So we'd encourage you to check out our donation page at tnproject.org slash donate and help us replace hopelessness with hope. Now let's get back to the podcast. Well, I know a lot of people out there are probably going, but, 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 and but, but, but. Romans chapter three, Chad, verse 28 says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So what's going on? The Bible contradicts itself. That's all, that's it. Nope, I don't believe James. Right. I don't believe him. I'm a Paulian <laughs> Christian. <laughs> yeah, you'll definitely get some of that, right? And you know what? I did when I first, when I was a baby Christian. Mm-hmm. I was like so thrown off. I was, what? Hold on, Paul just is literally saying someone's justified apart from works, and then and then James is literally saying, "I will show you my faith by my works." Mm-hmm. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. But I think when we read James or Paul, for that matter it's inherent in like human nature to quickly have this thing called confirmation bias. Like meaning what I'm presupposing is the truth. I'm just going to look for things that confirm what I think is the truth, right? That's confirmation Mm -hmm. bias. It confirms what I already believe. And it's really, really easy to then read the section of James that we're reading here and go, I mean, James and Paul don't agree, but that's actually not the case. Mm -hmm. That's actually not the case. And if, we just look at the 22nd verse in James chapter two. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works mm-hmm. and faith was completed by his works. Mm-hmm. That's a very important portion of this section that we're reading. We have to understand that James's teaching perfectly complements Paul's writings. Yeah. Like it's perfectly complementary. Like salvation is determined by faith mm-hmm. alone. Clearly the New Testament right. teaches that. They're emphasizing two different points of the same exact subject. Right, right, right. Like salvation is demonstrated by faithfulness to obey God's will. Right. Like it's demonst- it's, it's demonstrably true right. that you actually are yeah. a Christian based on how you're living your life. Mm-hmm. And not just for like a day or two. Right. Like we're talking about like the over long- the span of your entire right. life. The progressive sanctification of a Christian. Yes. Uh, we draw a chart in biblical counseling that looks like a, kind of like a, a chart you see on Wall Street of the, Oh, yeah, the S&P 500 chart. Yeah, where over time, the continual trend is upward, but you have these up and down spots. Like, that's the life of a Christian where we're going to still sin. We're still going to make mistakes. We got to repent. We got to grow. But over time, we become more and more in the likeness of Christ. And like you said, what James is not saying is you're justified by your works. He's just saying that you're if you are justified, you will have obedience to the Lord in your life. Yeah, that would be the fruit of it. Right. 
I mean, there's a couple of things here I think we should bring up before we dive into like salvation and the components of it specifically. Um, and what I'm about to read, I've actually read before uh, in our, one of our podcasts with David Grantham. It's the characteristics of genuine saving faith, yeah. right? So we're not going to mm-hmm. deep dive that, but if you're interested, listener, in, in going deeper into what I'm about to say, we do have two podcasts. They're titled The Characteristics of Genuine Saving Faith, part one and part two. Go look at those. But like, look, if someone you know, claims to be a Christian, um, then as we've been saying, there are actual objective evidences of that claim to faith that will prove it, right? That will actually prove it or Mm. give us a pretty clear notion of like, yes, this person is for all intents and purposes, definitely a Christian. But there are also evidences that neither prove nor disprove one's claim to faith. Those are visible morality or intellectual knowledge or even just like religious involvement. Even if they're active in ministry or they even have like something that resembles conviction of sin uh, or, or they have like a decision that they made at one point in time, right, where they, where they made a decision for Christ. Like all of those things hmm. on their face may look like, yeah, this person's a Christian, right. but they're not actually what the Bible would tell you are almost guarantees of Christianity. What those look like are love for God, repentance from sin, right? Not just conviction, but actual turning away from sin. They'll look like genuine humility or devotion to God's glory, right? right? A lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of self-giving, self-sacrificial love, like clear separation from the world. Uh, They'll look like a person who's actually growing spiritually and living obediently. A person who actually has a genuine hunger Mm -hmm. for God's word. And all of those things will culminate in a transformed life. Mm -hmm. Like salvation, what does that mean? You know, Pastor Sam was talking about it. I think it was either last weekend or the weekend before. When we talk about being saved, what does that actually mean? Like, what does it mean to be saved? Not even just in a Christian context. Right. Like, what does the word actually mean? It means you, you're you actually being uh, removed from danger, Yeah, yeah deli- right? delivered from Delivered wrath. from wrath in the Christian context, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, let's, let's go down the Christian context path now. Mm-hmm. Like, salvation. That means that you have been delivered from God's wrath. Right. You right. have been delivered from the domain of darkness, which God's wrath is on, mm-hmm. and you have been transferred into right. the kingdom of light. And this is where we get the words atonement, propitiation. Mm-hmm. Atonement um, is something has to be done in order to atone for or make right with the um, the party you have wronged. Our mm-hmm. sin, we have wronged God, and he justly, we deserve his wrath. Yes. And in the Old Testament system, the blood of animals were the atonement for the sins of the people. And then Christ's blood was the final necessary atonement for right. the sins. I call it like atonement on credit. Yeah. Like the New Testament clearly says that the blood of bulls and goats does not mm-hmm. does not provide forgiveness for sins. Right. But it points to the one, the final lamb of God, like you just said, that right. will. Right. Then you've got perpetuation, which is the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone. So Christ's atonement, his atoning work on the cross is what made the perpetuation for our sins, makes us back in favor with the Lord. It appeases God's wrath. appeases God's wrath. That's right. Which both of those are tied up in the justification of our sins. Mm -hmm. It's Christ's righteousness that is imputed upon us or counted to us who believe in him. 
that we have the atonement or the propitiation for our sins before a holy God. And that's so what allows that's, the legal declaration of justification. Exactly. So then that's the saving. We were, because of all those things, we put our faith in Christ and make him Lord. We are saved from the wrath of God and then put into a place of adoption as children, as heirs. Yeah. But all based upon the work of Christ. We're brought into the family of God and every family member of God has the God's spirit within them, the Holy right? Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Which begins the sanctification process. And this is known as sanctification or regeneration, right? right? Regeneration means you were a dead sinner. Mm-hmm. Now you are living. You are an alive uh, saint, right? right? You, you have been regenerated, right? Yeah. Now, dead people, let's just stop there for a second. Yeah, let's, take a, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, even in John, the gospel, chapter mm-hmm. 11, Lazarus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was dead for four days. Right. Old Testament says he stinketh. I mean, the old King James Version <laughs> says he stinketh. He stunk. The, de- the decomposition process had begun. Mm-hmm. And that's a physical example right. of a spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. We're all spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Mm-hmm. We are all spiritually dead before being regenerated, right. i.e. before being saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and dead people... Just get worse. They right. decompose, right? The the flesh starts to rot, right? They don't respond to any stimulus other than like right. an electrode being hooked up to them, and them being shocked, right? Mm-hmm. An outside current of of uh, forceful current mm-hmm. being connected to them, right? So, spiritually speaking, we get worse and worse and worse in our sin. Mm-hmm. We we stinketh, yeah. <laughs> we stinketh, right? Unless the Lord who is the resurrection and life in John chapter 11. That's what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, Unless the Lord breathes his spirit into us, right? Mm -hmm. Now that occurs when we say, Lord, and we willingly submit the knee. The same time we have been justified in that act. Christ's righteousness, as you said, Chad, Mm -hmm. is imputed to us. That righteousness is a living, breathing human being now imputed with the Holy Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. right? That is Christ's righteousness imputed to us. From that point, we have been regenerated. We have been reconciled, brought mm-hmm. into the family of God. And now we live a life, as you said earlier, with that upward trajectory mm-hmm. of sanctification, right. meaning sanctify means to set apart. Right. We, we don't live like the rest of the world. We right. don't talk like the rest of the world. Our priorities are not the world's priorities. Right. We are demonstrably different right. from the rest of the world. And that's what James is getting at here. Right. Yeah, you can't say you're a Christian and then not act like one who's a Christian. Correct. <laughs> I mean, it's just simple as that. It's, it's, it is as simple as that. Yeah. And, and I think people tend to get really caught up mm-hmm. with, uh, but yeah, but I still sin. Right. Yes, you do. But one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is the conviction of sin and the ability to repent. Yeah. So that's also a falsehood when someone's like, I've, I've sinned so much, God, he's not happy with me. No, no, no. You're now aware of, because of the Holy Spirit, the amount of sin by which you have. It was already there. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's 1 John 1, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 4, Amen. we... Can grow, we can draw boldly before the throne of grace, and he gives us grace and mercy and help in time of need. It is our dependence upon Christ that's one of the fruits and, and shows the one who is a truly a believer, who is humble and understands 
This is where in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, those mm-hmm. who mourn. What's he talking about? The poor, the one who understands the depravity of their sin, mm-hmm. one who mourns over the reality of sin, but who runs to and clings to the Savior. Yeah, that's the ref- the the reflection of the heart of a believer. Yeah, and just to note before I read a particular portion of Scripture here, just to note the reason why people struggle with this uh, so much initially, and even some people for for quite a long time. Uh, it's because there's purposeful paradox here. Mm-hmm. There's there's a paradox in every major doctrine of the Bible, which is just, honestly, just mm-hmm. an evidence that it's divine, mm-hmm. right? Like human beings wouldn't write this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So the paradox in salvation is there's God's sovereignty on one hand and there's human responsibility on the other hand. Mm-hmm. And we have a very difficult time reconciling the two. These things are perfectly reconciled in the mind of God, right? Right, Because we will say here, any any uh, Bible-believing Christian would say, you must live a life according to the scriptures, but it's not you who is doing it, mm-hmm. but it is you who is doing it, right? right? Like Paul said in, in Galatians chapter two, the life I live in the flesh, I no longer live, right? It is Christ in me, right? Mm-hmm. The life I live now, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If righteousness were by the law, then Christ died for nothing, mm-hmm. right? So let me ask you a question. Paul, <laughs> when you wrote Romans, did you write Romans? Yes. Really? Yeah. Well, let me think about it. Well, I, no, no, I didn't. But, but yes, I did. Right. Right? Okay, Paul, when you sin, is that the spirit of God in you or is that your flesh? That's the flesh, okay? When you glorify God with your mouth, is that the spirit of God in you or is that the flesh? That's the spirit of God in me. <laughs> you see, there's that paradox, right? Mm-hmm. And we would get, we would just do well to not get so caught up on that paradox. Just understand that the Bible leaves it out there. Mm-hmm. It just leaves it out there. Right. And where we as Christians really get, I think we, we, we tend to error is we, we, we depend on one side more than the other side. We don't have that balance of faith that we've talked about so right. many times on this podcast. Right. And the dependency upon the Lord, you know, it's, it's important to understand. I think all this gets reconciled in total depravity of sin. Mm. Paul, when Paul writes those things that you talked about, he's demonstrating that within himself he has no ability to be righteous. Yeah. Right, Romans 7, you know, things I want to do, I don't do. Like the law just shows me I'm sinful, right? It's revealing the sin and the need for the Savior. And Ephesians 2, you're dead in your trespasses. You talked about that. A a dead person can't choose God, like doesn't want God. And so all that begins within, in terms of God opening your eyes to the truth, God saving you, God putting his spirit inside of you. And it's the Holy Spirit who begins to grow the desire for the word, a desire to mm-hmm. obey it, the desire to do all those things. However, like you said in that paradox, but then we still have the choice to obey and to trust and to walk with and to choose Christ over our flesh. Galatians 5.1 is one of those passages that shows us that paradox, for freedom Christ has set us free. So there's freedom from sin. Stand firm, therefore, Stand firm in what? Well, stand firm in the gospel and the truth and the confession of our faith. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, which is the imperative that you could go back to your sin. Yeah, and and (laughs) contextually in that book, it was depending on the law. 
right? <laughs> depending on works of the law, right? To save you. That's right. That's exactly what Paul's talking about right. in that whole book. Right. And so you go back to the slavery of works, the slavery yeah. of sin. Uh, but Christ, one of the fruits of the gospel is we are now free in Christ to be able to choose Christ. Mm -hmm. Before that, you were dead in your trespasses. You were totally depraved. You did yeah. not want God. Yeah. And you still contend with this flesh that still doesn't want God. Yeah. But now you have the Holy Spirit within you who is God and is helping you agree with the scriptures and desire God. So now there's this war, this battle within. Yeah. You know, anyway. Well, one of the major things I want I just thought of, Chad, is, you know, how does the spirit do that, right? Mm -hmm. The spirit does that primarily through the renewal of the mind. Absolutely. This is why the sentimentality movement in evangelicalism today mm -hmm. can be very dangerous. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not one that's so rigid that like just thinks that you can't have loud music and jump around and have fun worshiping God. Yeah. You totally can. Look at the Old Testament. They right. got very, make a shout of praise unto our Lord, right? Yeah. David David got down with it. So Dude. much so one of his wives. And honestly, <laughs> at coming from that side of Christianity, I do miss that from time to time. It's a lot of fun, right? Yeah. However, we need to be balanced, right? Yeah. The reason why sentimentality can be dangerous is because it stresses that over the renewal of the mind. Right. Like we must worship God with our minds. Right. Right. And that's what God emphasizes all throughout His indeed His, his Bible. Well, of course, because we make decisions with our minds. That's and right. And if our minds not being renewed, we're not going to make God honoring decisions. Right. right. So we must focus on Scripture study. We must focus on renewing the mind in the text of Scripture, like. Mm. You have to do that. You don't have to jump around and have a good time in the musical part of the worship service, <laughs> right, right? right? But you have to do this other part. And that's what the Spirit of God primarily is doing in our hearts. Absolutely. Right? Our hearts is not the beating organ. It's the seat of the emotions. It's the person, right? Right. When everything culminates in belief, yes. in, in the thoughts, in the cognition of the of the of the soul and the heart, you know. And I wanna I wanna circle back to this struggle with sin throughout the Christian's life. Because we spend mm. most of our time, you know, in the components of salvation, in that sanctification part, right? We're saved, mm. we're set apart. The already but not yet principle is fully operative. Mm. Like the thief on the cross is the perfect example of like, you don't need to like live this long life of holiness in order to attain salvation. Mm. Like the dude was on the cross next to Jesus and Jesus turned to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't have like this long life to like, prove he was a Christian, right? Right. <laughs> it was already saved perfectly, finally, end of story, right? But if you don't find yourself hanging on a cross and you find yourself living your regular life mm -hmm. for 40, 50, 60, however many years God's going to give you, we're going to be sanctified throughout that entire process. Mm -hmm. And the enemy, the adversary, Satan, will use doubt. And he'll, primarily he'll, the doubt that we will have is, I don't know if I'm actually saved, Yeah. right? And you are actually saved. Like, mm -hmm. understand, like, once you're actually saved, it's done. And I want to read a portion of scripture that really clarifies just the joy of your assurance and salvation. Mm -hmm. And who better than Peter to, like, really understand uh, what it might have felt like to be shocked and thinking, I don't know if I'm actually saved. Mm -hmm. The dude denied Jesus three times. Jesus told him. That he was going to do that, and he didn't think he was. Right. And then when he does, Jesus looks, the, ro the rooster crows, and Jesus looks at him, mm -hmm. and it says that Peter, I forgot what gospel, but it says that Peter saw him, and he left, and he was weeping. Yeah. Like, could you imagine? He was crushed by it. Just gutted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but listen to the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
starting at verse three. And he has an exclamation point after this first sentence, which is like, Peter was probably a pretty rowdy dude, you know? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. Mm -hmm. Wow. That tested genuineness of your faith, that's a sanctification process. Yeah. That is the the burning, right? Yeah. You know, our God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. Yeah. Right? And when we stand in his presence, if we don't have the pure righteousness of Christ, all that's getting burned out. Anything that is not of him is burned out, yeah. right? This is the beam of judgment of 1 Corinthians chapter three, where believers stand before Christ and are rewarded, mm. right? Judgment is negatively connotated in most people's minds. It just means to make a decision, mm -hmm. right? I'm judging you, meaning I am looking at what I see and I'm making a choice or decision. Yeah, Our sin has already been judged on the cross. When we stand before Christ, it is gifts, right? Yeah. What those are, I don't know. But our God is a consuming fire and his presence will burn out those impurities in us. The yeah. spirit of God within us, right? Convicts us. Then, as you say in the biblical counseling realm, the situations of life, the heat sources, yeah. they, they reveal the contents of our heart, right? Mm -hmm. The word of God comes in and it cuts away the flesh. Mm -hmm. The word of God in those situations will cut away the sin of your heart. And you will be purified through that process. It hurts. Mm -hmm. It burns. Mm -hmm. But the pure righteousness of Christ, which is left over, will shine even more brightly. Right. Amen. I think we can just drop the mic and leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. That, But that, in essence, Christian listening, is your life in Christ. Your days have already been numbered. They've already been written out. God has already planned everything before you were even born for you to walk in it right? Ephesians 2.10, right? There are good works that have been set aside for you to do that God already knows that you're going to do. And in fact, he ordained it and he planned it and you will do it because mm -hmm. God is sovereign. Yeah. And his will for our lives is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. The will of God for your life is to be saved, sanctified, and to be um, submissive to his will, which is written down for us in a book called mm -hmm. the Bible, right? And as we are sanctified, we come to know the Lord with a, with a deeper understanding every single day. As we grow in the knowledge of Christ yeah. through the renewal of our mind, you know, we start to cast off the things that we once held so dear to our hearts that were so meaningful to us you know, in our flesh. The longer you walk with the Lord, the less that stuff matters, right? Mm -hmm. It won't even matter at all one day when you're standing before the Lord in heaven, in eternity, which is the final part of salvation glorification. Mm -hmm.
when Christ comes back, we will be like him. We will see him for who he is and we will be like him. We will be fully glorified. And man, there's nothing better than that. That's right. There's nothing better than that. So let's take heart, Christian, out there. Notice what Peter said. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know how many more guarantees he could stamp on that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If God said it, it will happen. That's right. Right? And if you are saved, you will, in fact, see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be with him for eternity, mm-hmm. for eternity. And that's our hope. That's our hope. That's the living hope. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we teach here at the Nehemiah Project. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I don't care what you have coming in here. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Christ is greater than all of it. Mm-hmm. He is greater than all of it. And, and look, we go through some pretty horrible things, right? right? But Christ is the light, and mm-hmm. in him is the life of mankind, Yeah. right? If, if you are sick of, you know, the proverbial saying, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, man, cry out to Christ. That's right. <laughs> He'll cause you to be born again to a living hope. All right. And he will redeem and restore no matter what's going on in your life. Um, it may not work out the way you hope, but he does restore uh, his children and give them everlasting hope in himself. Praise God for his mercy. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.